I've always enjoyed writing, like the act of writing. I think I had, I remember when I was really young, I wanted to be like a movie director too. And because I like the emotion that certain movies create in a person watching it. And I felt you could do the same thing with a book without all the technology. <laughs> so yeah, when I'm writing, I'm like, I like figuring out the best way for the writing to make someone feel like they're watching a movie in their head. I just think that's magic. And to be able to create that with words, I mean, that's the ultimate dream. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 148 with All-American athlete, author, and speaker, Rachel Style. This is squadron leader confirming hostiles inbound. Prepare for battle. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, you got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. All right, guys, thanks for joining in. I'm your host, JC Preston, with Veronica Kieran, host of the Stories of Elders podcast. And if you're new to this particular podcast, this is a show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists to help you find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. You know, one of the things that creatives struggle with all the time is imposter syndrome. And, you know, they have this limiting belief that they're living someone else's life or they simply don't deserve the success that they've seen. So they get in this loop of, of negative thoughts that, that keep them in a funk, and sooner or later, uh, their, their results slide as well. And one of the habits that we can find ourselves getting into during these, these funks is, uh, is binge eating or overeating. And back in session 110, I spoke with Dr. Glenn Livingston about how he dealt with his own binge eating problems after his life and business started taking a nosedive. And truth is, creatives aren't the only people who struggle with these issues. In fact, we'll find out in today's chat, there's, there's pretty, it's pretty rampant in the athletic world too. But it makes sense though. You know, athletes have to constantly watch what they're eating to stay in peak performance. And as we've learned, it's pretty common for strengths to become weaknesses when they're taken too far. So in our chat with Rachel Style today, Veronica and I learned more about her journey, including when she realized it was time for her to get help, uh, what originally prompted her to start her blog and later her book entitled Running in Silence, and some advice she has for people who want to become better known for their artistic work as well. Before we get into that, though, I do want to remind you guys about Fizzle. And speaking of becoming better known for your artistic work, this is something that the team over at Fizzle is all about. It got started with them back in 2015, and ever since then, I've been a huge fan of theirs because they have such a great library of courses that will help you launch your new brand. You know, whether you're wanting to test the market, uh, get better at podcasting, or simply make a better website, there's a course over there that covers what you're looking for. And there's no need to spend tons of time on YouTube trying to parse together your own solutions or buy a course which costs a small fortune. Plus, with all the founder stories of big names, 
you'll recognize in a great community. It's simply a no-brainer if you're just getting started. You can get started today free for two weeks by visiting newinceptions.com slash fizzle. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. All right, before we get started, I want to remind you guys again to subscribe and comment on the show via whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Doing so helps other people find the show. And, uh, you know, that means that we could get the, the chance to uh, help them do more fulfilling work themselves. Again, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash newinceptions. Show notes and show note extras of the conversation can be found at newinceptions.com slash 148. And as usual, I'll be on after the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm JC Preston and joining me as co-host today is Veronica Kieran. Veronica, how you doing? Hey JC, what's up? Not much, not much. Just uh, enjoying life and uh, we actually just had a, an amazing event about leadership here in Indianapolis last night and had a panel and that was was pretty fun and um, Harrison and, and Josh of, of Amplify Indy really enjoyed their time there. And uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely cool to have the community come up and, and, and talk about that topic a bit. Nice. What are you up to? Not a lot. I'm in recovery. Uh, I just did my first TED Talk on Tuesday, two days ago. So um, I'm just really kind of flying on that kite right now, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Imagine. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. <laughs> and, and you also said that your your arm is numb uh, you, um, because you yeah, got a shot sore. yesterday. We're, we're, Real we're, sore. I got four shots. Let me be clear. I am the champion of vaccination at the moment. I currently have in my body typhoid, polio, tetanus, and uh, what's the other one now? <laughs> and and why why did a. you why did you why did you put yourself through this grueling experience? Because I am heading to India in a couple of weeks to speak at the Women's Economic Forum. And so just covering my bases. Awesome. Very excited. I'm very yeah, excited. Totally. First time totally. to India. And uh, the people who come to this event are are uh, pretty, pretty big people in the world. So I'm excited to see all of them as well. And we'll uh, hope to connect you with Abby on your way over there too, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we are, we have a date planned actually. Yeah. Okay. We're all set. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. Going into today's conversation, um, I'm actually going to let you do the intro because this is someone that you know personally and I think you can probably give a little bit better of an introduction than I can. So who's our guest today? Yeah, you know, no worries, JC. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, I... I actually have known our guest um, for two years now, or just just over two years. Um, and I met her when I was working to finish my own book. Uh, our mutual friend insisted that I needed to go to her book launch party, which I was excited about because I was planning my own book release party and I was looking for ideas. Um, I still have her signed copy of her book, which is sitting proudly on my shelf. Um, and our friendship at that point just kind of took off like a rocket. It was pretty instant. Um, I, I initially wanted to be friends with her just to learn about being an author and now we're just friends and can't be separated. So, uh, <laughs> but she, she's the forerunner in changing the perspective on eating disorders across America. And to be clear, um, 
I was no stranger to eating disorders when I met her, but um, I had I lived with a roommate who was bulimic, and we had been taught a lot about anorexia and bulimia in high school when body dysphoria, which is the feeling that your body doesn't match your mind's view of it, um, was rampant. Our bodies were changing, and so of course um, everything felt a little bit weird uh, physically. But um, our guest's experience was different from those two kind of mainstream ideas of what an eating disorder is. And so she didn't recognize it at first for what it was. Um, and today she speaks across the country to students and sports practitioners alike to clarify the definition of eating disorders. And and soon after her book was published, the definition was changed to be even more expansive. Um, her book and supporting materials can be found at runninginsilence.com. Rachel Style, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing really well this week. Thanks. So Rachel, you and I have talked a lot about your history um, and you've been very, very open about your experiences, which I personally appreciate. Um, but I think that your vulnerability has made other young people feel safe to open up and discuss the topic of eating disorders and body dysphoria and even then ask for help when they need it. Um, but to my understanding, you didn't feel like you had that support. So what was the turning point that you felt like it was time to reach out for, for to ask for support and get help for yourself? Yeah, I definitely didn't feel like there's much support because I only thought of eating disorders as anorexia, bulimia. And like you mentioned, I didn't feel what I was going through matched up to those. So I was going through binge eating disorder for almost a year before I said anything. And I kept thinking... I could just fix this by eating a certain way or that I'll just, you know, harness more discipline and willpower. And that wasn't working. <laughs> so I kind of reached the end of my rope and decided I need to at least let someone know. And the first person I told was my mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I told her through an email because I was too scared to say it in person. And I didn't want to go in full detail. I just kind of wrote, you know, I'm struggling with my eating. I don't think it's a full-blown eating disorder, but I don't know what to do. I just need some more help. Mm. So I told her, and the funny thing is she didn't think much of the email. I was, like I said, Aww. terrified yeah. to send her this. And then she was like, oh, okay, let's talk about this over dinner at a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it didn't start off well, but I think once we had our first conversation and then our second one, she started mm. to see this had been taking over my life for the past few years. It wasn't just, you know, this little concern about my body or weight. This was taking over my life. Yeah. And that's, that's the point that I think you make over and over is that it's, it's controlling. It's no mm. longer just like curiosity about calories or, you know, like, are my hips okay? It's, I can't stop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It becomes somewhat of an, an addiction a bit, right? Oh yeah. And it's so crazy to think back then too, because I legit didn't think it was that bad, but now mm. that I'm so far out of it, looking back, that was a, that was a huge eating disorder. You know, it, it took over every single thing I did and affected the relationships around me and the relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I 
remember in your book, um, the scene, which I think you describe as kind of one of the breaking points where you're, you're like hacking away at a frozen cake. And I realized that that's in the introduction and I did totally read the entirety of your book, but it's just you're, you and your editor were correct to put that in the introduction because it's such Mm -hmm. a poignant moment of like the struggle of, of like the inner dialogue of fighting almost against yourself because you have the one voice saying like, no, don't eat. And then the other voice saying, I am starving. I need food. I need calories. Help me. Mm. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you healed, uh, you began writing a blog called running in silence, which you chose that title because your eating disorder centered around your cross country and track running. That's correct, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I was a cross-country and track athlete at Aquinas College. Mm-hmm. And and did well, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My freshman year, I took sixth at the national cross-country meet for the NAIA um, and seventh in track. And that was the best I'd ever performed in my life. Like, I was on a high. It was my favorite thing to do. It was my huge passion and love. And to finally at- achieve you know, my dreams was just, it seemed like the best year of my life. But at the same time, I was struggling with the eating disorder and a part of the eating disorder uh, that was more like anorexia, restricting how much Mm -hmm. I was eating, what kind of foods I was eating. So yeah, I was doing well, but it was a very small amount of time and I crashed very soon after that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's very understandable. I mean, having to perform, you know, keep at a certain performance level, you know, but almost make you anybody, even without a dis- eating disorder, I would think would be paying attention to what they're having and or eating naturally. Right. So you yeah. just kinda, it just kind of spiraled into something that was a little bit overbearing a bit. Right. And I think that's why it's so difficult to see this in athletes, because we usually think, oh, well, they're just very disciplined. They're just working hard. They mm. just want to eat healthy for their sport. But actually, so many athletes struggle with this, like way more than most people think, because it's under the guise of, you know, I'm doing this for my sport. I'm just trying to be really healthy. Right. Yeah. So eventually the blog Running in Silence became the title of your book. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of that blog is what makes the contents of your book. Um, and, and this was the, the blog itself was the beginning of your vulnerability and honesty. Um, that is now your hallmark of speaking today. Um, what inspired you to initially start the blog? Actually, my writing background. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to be an author from a very young age. And I thought, oh, I'll write a book about running someday because there weren't a lot of books at the time about running like memoirs mm-hmm. uh, besides, you know, from the elite athletes and everything. And so I continued to pursue creative nonfiction writing. I was an English major at Aquinas College, writing and communication minor, and kept thinking like, oh, I'll write this book. And then when the eating disorder developed and it had that connection to running, I took a class that talked about writing in a very vulnerable, honest way and that it can actually make your writing better. And as a perfectionist, Mm -hmm. I'd always tried to kind of hide the truth of things because I I wanted to look a certain way or seem a certain way right. that would make people proud of me. So to be vulnerable about like my mistakes and my ugliness almost, it felt ugly to me. 
uh, was terrifying, but I was also like, I got to take this leap if I want to become a better writer. (laughs) So Mm, it wasn't even so much like, oh, I'm going to try to create a movement and talk about eating disorders and sports. It was more, I want to write with vulnerability. So the running in silence title just came to me. I didn't have to think long about it. That's oh, brilliant. I, I yeah, I'm kind of surprised how long it's stuck and it it became the title of the book. Uh, but I connected with someone who had put white websites together because I'm not really tech savvy, <laughs> and uh, he was very helpful. I put it together, posted a few past journal entries on it, and was terrified to share on social mm. media because I thought people would think, oh, she doesn't really have an eating disorder. She's an average weight Ugh, or yeah. she's just trying to get attention. You know, I thought I was going to get those kind of responses and it was the complete opposite. So many people mm. were reaching out saying that they struggled with the same thing. They were so glad I was writing about it. And at the time there weren't really any websites about an athlete struggling with an eating disorder. So I kind of created something I had been looking for at the time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I saw nothing but good things come from it. And it's been a huge learning experience since then. And an amazing one. Yeah. Sounds like it. (laughs) Uh, So there's a lot of folks out there that have different feelings about writing a book. You you went from the blog and you put it into a book and I was actually just recently listening to one of my favorite podcasts called Big Questions by Cal Fussman, and he was interviewing Simon Sinek. Uh, Simon is known for um, his why book, his leadership book, and he's also writing a a book about how people approach life as a game. And each one of his different books, he had different inspiration for, for writing it. And he had a different way of actually writing it. In fact, one of his books, he flew uh, long distances. He lives in New York and he flew long distances to like Miami, Los Angeles, and came right back to be able to write his book in the plane. Okay. Kind of weird, but that's what worked for him. Can you tell me what inspired you to first take your blog to book finally, since you always wanted to be an author? I mean, what was, what was the, the turning point on that? And then how did you end up writing the book? Was it in spurts? Did you hunker down for a week? Did you fly like Simon? I mean, what, how, how, how'd that work? Yeah. Well, I'd been writing every day in college about my college experiences. And when my eating disorder really developed, I had started like this raw food diet. <laughs> I do not advocate anyone doing it. I mean, I guess there's some benefits for some people with certain diseases and stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, so I'd written a lot of (laughs) journal entries about doing this raw food diet, thinking this was going to be the turning point in my life and I'm going to have so much health and vitality. Mm -hmm. And so I had already had a lot of written content, which is what I started posting on my website. And I shared it with my advisor at school, Brent Chesley. Um, who has now passed away. It was a few weeks after my book was published, actually. But he was a huge mentor for me. I had like eight classes with him. He was my advisor. And he suggested we do an independent study project together a few months after I started my website, um, which was a huge honor. I mean, I just totally respected him. He was awesome. 
So that's when I started making it into a book. And so I was working with him. He helped me with a lot of revisions and big picture editing. And even when I finished that independent study project with him, I continued to edit. I hired another editor and started learning more about the publishing world. And yeah, I think that answered your question. What was your writing structure like? Like daily or in spurts or or what? How'd that go? I would say it was more daily. I'm a very like organized, structured person. I think I got it from my mom. (laughs) So I had a specific time every day where I'd take these journal entries. I put it all into one piece, like a manuscript, and I would go through like one chapter a day. And the chapters are pretty short. And I would read through it and edit it, read through it and edit it. And then the next day I'd go to the next chapter and do the same thing. So it's kind of like slowly moving through the book. And once I got to the end, I'd go back to the beginning and edit again. Because, you know, the rough draft for anything is not good. So it just (laughs) takes a lot of running through over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. A a lot of people in today's world, um, speaking of wanting to always be an author, um, you know, one of the things that Simon was talking about is that to be an author, to be someone that writes, you actually put more effort into writing and putting your message online. Because I think someone was talking about recently that online you have to, to be able to convey emotion, you have to put in exclamation marks and you actually got to think about putting in exclamation marks. Does this make sense to put it here in this sentence or, do, you know, do I move it down to put it in here? And I don't want to put too many in, you know, I yeah. look like a freak, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, what do you find, um, since you always said that you wanted to be an author, what excites you about being an author? I've always enjoyed writing, like the act of writing. I think I had I remember when I was really young, I wanted to be like a movie director too. And mm-hmm. because I like the emotion that certain movies create in a person watching it. And I felt you could do the same thing with a book without all the technology. <laughs> mm, okay. So yeah, when I'm writing, I'm like, I like figuring out the best way for the writing to make someone feel like they're watching a movie in their head. I just think that's magic. And to be able to create that with words, I mean, that's the ultimate dream. Um, Because I want people to feel and connect through emotion, through reading something. So I think that was the biggest um, interest for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. If you were to make a transcript of like what we're saying right now, I mean, it would be just a jumbled piece of work. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, putting the time into writing is, is definitely cool. So yeah, uh, that's, that's awesome. I can say my part of the script is eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I want to, I want to take this one step further because we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this show, actually predominantly entrepreneurs. Um, and typically when we interview people, there are people who have started a business and then wrote books about their work or aspects of their work. And you've gone the other direction. Uh, you mm-hmm. wrote a book and then you've built a business around it, which is called entrepreneurial authorship. Um, I think a lot of our listeners are interested in becoming thought leaders in this way, but they might not know where to start. So they are looking at what you've done and um, just like we always do this. Um, 
where we see somebody who's reached the heights that we want to reach. And then we think, oh my God, that's so far away. How do I even get there? But just like you and I can attest, it's not, it's, you just go step by step. It's not, it's not necessarily a long, complicated road, but it seems that way once you've, you know, lived it for a couple of years. So looking back from the heights you've achieved as a nationally recognized speaker and author, what advice do you have to give to those who want to do what you've done, but they're not sure how to get there. Yeah, definitely taking it one step at a time. I think I feel kind of lucky because I didn't know where I was going with it. Right, <laughs> I, right, right. Like right. in I said it, it kind of started with a passion and I just worked on that passion and then you see how it can grow and to develop into another passion. So, you know, putting I wanted to start a blog first, so I did that and then realized, oh, I can make a book out of this, so I did that and then oh, if I have a book, I probably want to start doing some speaking engagements. So did that. And then from there started my running and silence nonprofit. So it just builds on each other. And I think having a list of daily things that I need to do to work on one passion and then a bigger project list to refer to once I finish, you know, my first initial one that I'm focusing on is good so that you write down what you want to achieve at a later date and don't forget it. Um, But also not overwhelming yourself with, oh, I got to do all of these things at once because you just can't. You're going to destroy yourself doing that. Um, So I think I'm only lucky in the fact that I didn't, I just only had one focus at a time. And as it's built up, I've added on more projects and now I see more of a future ahead of me. But don't overwhelm yourself and take one thing at a time. Yeah. And that's actually exactly what I tell my own clients um, that they might not be wanting to become an author, but entrepreneurs and creatives, we tend to have so many different ideas that we want to do them all at once because they're all exciting and, oh my God, the things we can do in the world. Um, But then like you're talking about, you just can't and it's really easy to burn yourself out. So just, I love the suggestion of like, write it down. And then put it in the someday maybe list and you'll get there. The time will come, but you can let it go because now it's written down and you can focus on what today actually means. Yes, exactly. Well, and to add on top of that, you know, I I think the path that you've you've gone, you know, there's something to be said about. um, I wouldn't call it ignorant action. But just taking, well, (laughs) some people would call it dumb action. But 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 like the ignorance of is bliss kind of like it works in this case. Right. Yeah. And so getting started, just doing something, just crafting a skill set will pay dividends down the road. And as you add more and more products, I guess, to your lineup, so to speak, you know, coming from the, 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 the general entrepreneurial perspective, um, you know, be that speaking, be that a course, be that an audio program or whatever. It, it, it's it's so much easier if you don't pack that onto yourself at the beginning. Just just be like, okay, I'll I'll know when it's time to do that, and you know, right. the, the universe will speak to me when it's like, oh, okay, got it, got to do it yep. because that's kind of how it worked for you a bit, isn't that right, Veronica? Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, absolutely. Um, ignorance has been bliss kind of the whole time, 
uh, with all of my businesses, but especially with my own book. I mean, I had no idea it was going to take me three and a half years to put everything together and to find a publisher and then get it out there. And now of course the marketing of the book. Yeah. (laughs) You just start where like, just like Rachel said, you start where the passion is, you have a dream, you don't know what it's necessarily going to look like, but, um, it evolves on its own and you just follow the rabbit trail. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. ET with the Reese's pieces. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us who get that analogy. Um, oh, any- no. <laughs> <laughs> come on, millennials. <laughs> right. Yeah. Come on. Keep up. Keep up. Um, <laughs> Go watch this movie right now. <laughs> so, so Rachel, you're currently working uh, with students and, and sports practitioners across the country uh, with your content, um, doing lots of speaking engagements as well. And if I understand correctly, you're actually writing another book. I know that you said you're working on your second edition of your of your first, but uh, uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing another one. What's this book about and uh, what else are you really looking forward to in 2019? Yeah, so the second book is kind of a continuation of the first. I'm sure I have more editing to do to figure out how much I'm going to make it like a sequel or not. Um, but I, so my kneecap broke when I was racing at Aquinas College. And that was obviously a huge traumatic thing for me because I still had another year of competing. And I had been running since I was five years old. This break required two surgeries. It was a huge turning point in my life. So I explored that, mm-hmm. but also the deeper meaning behind it all, or the deeper, I guess, the transition from being a runner to the real world, which I think people go through this, whether they have a huge injury like this or not. A lot of athletes going from the collegiate world to actually working a job in the office, um, Mm -hmm. figuring out who they are as a person. So I had this crazy transition phase where I actually started dating and everything too. And I had never had any type of relationship like that before I was 23. So this was a whole new world for me because, like I said, I had devoted so much time and energy into my running, and finally I had more time to see who I was outside of that. So it was a big exploration phase for me. Mm-hmm. Was there any, looking back on how you found your yourself and your identity, is there any way that you would suggest people who are struggling with that? Because you can, you'll, you'll have the athlete, sure, but you'll also have people that have been in the working world for how many years, and then they finally want to, you know, start being a creative, but they don't know what resonates with them. What was your process like? Definitely going out and trying new activities, being with new people, because I think we think often that we don't have much more in us like we don't know these other parts of ourselves but when we expose our ourselves to different activities and people those different interests come out where you're like at least for me I realized I was interested in this or that or this person was really cool I want to be similar to them while also developing my own self so and doing things that I wasn't good at too seeing how I handled failures and mistakes and how it helped me to grow and see what I liked and didn't like. So it's a lot of trial and error and discomfort. (laughs) I (laughs) started, yeah, my new motto, which I'm always trying to live by, 
It's by Eleanor Roosevelt. Do one thing each day that scares you. And that has been so critical to my growth and development. I think I had the most growth in my entire life as a person between 23 and 25 because of that, just going out Mm. and doing something different. Mm -hmm. So this is the the second book then is kind of the part two. And again, you're going to be looking into um, developing your identity and the healing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you looking forward to any speaking engagements? Because again, Veronica just did the TEDx talk. Are you going to be doing anything similar or have you excited? Yes. I've actually had a lot of speaking engagements this year already, which kind of surprised me, but I think um, having my website all fancy now, thanks to Veronica, (laughs) she helped me put it together because it was pretty, um, it was not all up to date a few years ago <laughs> and Veronica helped me with that. So I'm forever yeah. thankful. Yeah. Um, so I've gotten a lot of inquiries to speak at colleges and universities this past winter. So I think definitely during the school year is when I'll be speaking the most. So fall, winter. And then I do a few conferences in the summer. And I'm sure once I get the second book out and everything, I'll be doing more speaking engagements and having another topic to talk about, you know, that transition and struggle with identity as an athlete. So I think the future will be a lot more speaking engagements, especially as we talk about mental health in the athletic community even more. Mm. Yeah. And thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we need it. <laughs> and well, and there's just all kinds of different topics that are out there these days that, that, you know, even when I was going through college was never really discussed. I mean, um, someone that I had mm-hmm. early on in the podcast, um, early on, very early on, his name is Cam Adair and he started a nonprofit called game quitters. And apparently I, and I, I can understand why, gaming addiction, like video game addiction is a true thing. And I was just like, yeah. you know, people shutting themselves in for eight hours a day, which is crazy. But it, 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 again, it's all about that spiral of, of stuff. And, you know, college students are definitely the type of people that are, you know, struggling with these, these different situations. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, so as we're wrapping things up, we'll always go into the rapid fire question segment. And this first question that I have for you is is a brand new one. (laughs) And if you could add one song, one book, and one film to the national curriculum, because I'm a, I I wouldn't call myself a proponent of the the formal education system at all anymore. I think it's a little bit outdated. So if you were to help rebuild some of that, what would be one song, one book, and one film that you'd add to the national curriculum? Oh, wow. <laughs> huh. That's a big question. And for some reason, the book The Glass Castle comes to mind. <laughs> it's a memoir, and they made a movie on it, too. I don't think it, like, teaches much beyond... I mean, I felt like it taught a lot. It's a memoir about Janet Wall's life. And it was just so, oh, so well written. Maybe it's the author in me that just wants this on the national level, but um, it was just so well written. And I think it gives so much insight into, it helped me to have sympathy for other people's stories and where they come from. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm. It was just so powerful and life-changing for me. And again, it's probably because I wanted to be a nonfiction writer, memoir writer. Um, but that just stands out to me all the time. And then, oh, I'm not really good with music, unfortunately. Um, trying to think. What What's that one song <laughs> about the... We're, we are the misfits. We are. The- oh, yeah. I do like Imagine Dragons. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Warriors. Just, I love the power that song creates. I, and honestly, I've listened to that song before some speeches or like presentations before, cause it just pumps me up so much. Just, yeah. Just like fighting for change in the world. And I love, I'm kind of melancholy and it's like a darker song. It feels like not super melancholy, but (laughs) it's just, I just love the power of that. And I think it brings out the competitive runner in me too. And yeah, that's Mm. just a great, Mm -hmm. great song. Um, I definitely have amp up songs like on the way to TEDx earlier this week. I like, I was just like listening to my few on the list and it's just like, yeah, like we're going to do this. It's going to be great. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you, you can need change that. the world. Especially yeah, I think I'm, we all do. Oh, because I get so nervous for talks. It's getting better now, now that I know my content mm. a lot better and I'm having mm-hmm. so much practice. But you need something to motivate you and just um besides the message as a whole, just something to get you excited. <laughs> yeah, totally. And plus didn't you didn't you message me or reply to my um my message that like when we are speaking exactly about what we're meant to be speaking about, it's like much simpler. It just feels like less nervous. I don't think I messaged you. Maybe oh, okay. I did, but I agreed with it. And I was like, yes, <laughs> it just feels better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As for film, I would definitely say secondhand lions. My mom introduced it to me a few. Well, maybe it was like 10 years ago. Now that I think about it, because I watched it all the time in high school It was just, um, I think it's based off of a book. So there's a lot of beautiful metaphor in it. And I just thought the story was so powerful. Like there's comedy, so it's happy, but it's also kind of dark. And uh, I just, that that movie makes me feel so good. And I just love the deeper meaning behind it. Mm. Um, Yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen it or heard of it. It just doesn't yeah. seem like a lot of people have, but it's a really good movie. I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> awesome. More people will know about it now. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is going to be like uh, this question. Okay, so what <laughs> what message? I know you have so much to say about this. What message out there is a disservice to our youth? Mm. Well... If we're talking about the eating disorder world or dieting, diet culture, that, oh, there's so many damaging messages in that for yeah. our youth. Well, for adults as well, because older adults get eating disorders too, but definitely for our youth that you need to look a certain way or have a certain body size to be successful or not look lazy or undisciplined which is completely mm. like no matter what body size you have that does not determine the kind of person you are and we are still so stuck in this mindset quick to judge people by their appearance and body size and yeah. health, there's a movement called health at every size 
which mm-hmm. talks about because there are plenty of thin people who are unhealthy. But we mm-hmm. always think, oh, you know, if there's a thin person eating junk food, we don't blink an eye. But if someone <laughs> larger is eating, you know, a fast food or something, we think, oh, wow, they need to eat healthier. Or even if they're eating a salad, some people say, oh, now you're trying to eat healthy or, you know, we just make uh. judgments just based on body size. And it's so frustrating. And People, I still hear all these stories about youth being bullied for their size. And that's a direct reflection on how many of our parents talk about other people's bodies or what we hear in culture through social media. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that whole thing is just so damaging. And I'm so passionate about it because I developed an eating disorder. And because when I gained weight, I felt... All the judgment I had previously had about other people's bodies, I started to have on myself. So oh, it, it yeah. was just projection. Like, and it, yeah. it was so eye opening to go through the eating disorder. And uh, yeah, so I've had talks with my parents about this too, because they grew up in a society too that was so quick to judge people on their body size. And they had a lot to learn as well. So having more education mm-hmm. surrounding that, I just think would be so important. Yeah. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has really improved your life? Hmm. New habit or behavior. Well, I'm going to go back to the do one thing each day that scares you because that's been the biggest habit I've developed. Like anytime I'm uncomfortable trying something different or like when I started working at the Y or this investment management, there were things that I was told I needed to do for my job. And I was like, oh gosh, this is going to be so uncomfortable. Like I had to call parents for the first time about swim lessons at the Y, which is something mm-hmm. you should be able to do on a daily basis. And it's, I was just so scared and I'm like, okay, I just remind myself, do one thing each day that scares you. And it almost eliminates the fear because it's like, okay, this is the one thing I'm going to do today. That's going to be a mm-hmm. challenge, but then I'll put a check next to the one thing I did that scared me. So that has become a great habit for me. Also, okay, Veronica, you suggested that I write in the morning, like Mm -hmm. first thing in the morning or edit. That Mm -hmm. has been a great new habit to develop because I used to save it for the end of the day thinking, oh, this is the one thing I really love to do. I'm saving best for last. And then I never got to it because by the end of the day, I was exhausted. And yeah, so writing first thing in the morning as well. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote this morning. I wrote my whole next speech. Yeah, <laughs> I next saw month that. this morning. Oh, that's literally awesome. what I did. Because mm-hmm. I knew I wouldn't get it done. It has to get done this week. And I was like, all right, I'm up at 6.30. What do I do? Write a speech. Good. Done. Yes. Next thing, make a cup of yes. coffee. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, if you woke up tomorrow as your 10-year-old self and all your memories were still intact, what would you do? Oh, 10 years old? Mm-hmm. Whoa. I was in what? fourth grade. Hmm. I always think about that when I think back to my running days, like in high school, because all of I've learned over the years, I'm always like, oh, that would be so helpful when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I would say the confidence I have now would have been so helpful back then to yeah. advocate for myself more. I think I would do that. 
I would also try like asking questions more. As a kid, I was so scared to ask questions. And now I realize we're all still learning. And Mm -hmm. as an adult, you don't have everything together. So knowing that as a 10-year-old would be so helpful. And I think I would have been less worried and full of anxiety. So I think I would have been, yeah, more confident, more willing to ask questions, more or less fearless or less full of fear about the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That, that, and that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, how can someone be a difference maker in their community? Speaking up about whatever they're struggling with or is bothering them. My book is called Running in Silence for a Reason. I was running in silence for years, and that was doing nothing for me. And the more I spoke and spoke up, the more it reduced my own fear about what I was going through, the more it encouraged other people to speak up. It just creates like this ripple effect. Saying something is so powerful. Like that started everything for me. And there's more you can Mm -hmm. do off of that. But being able to speak up for yourself, even if it's just in writing, which is what I did to start it, you know, through the email and then through the website and then the speaking engagements. What What's a good way to, to actually start those those difficult conversations? Mm, I think realizing that everyone is scared to start because mm. I think some people think, oh, well, Rachel, it was easy for you. Like, you're just brave. And it's not, I was absolutely terrified. Mm. I didn't want to do it. I had just reached the end of my rope and I had no idea what to do. And the only thing I could do was say something. So to think anyone is braver or smarter or stronger is not really, I think we all have that within us. And maybe for some people, it'll take some time, at least think about it for a while and think about who you're going to tell And understand, too, that even if you Mm -hmm. do tell someone and they don't react well, don't let that deter you. Go find someone else who will support and listen, because not everyone is going to respond in the right way, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Well, Rachel, thanks again for uh, spending some time with us today. Uh, You can be found on the web, your awesome new website provided by with (laughs) help of Veronica at runninginsilence.com. Uh, Where can people find you in social media if they want to connect with you that way? Uh, Twitter is at Rachel Style. And Rachel is spelled a little different. It's R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And then Style looks like Steel. It's S-T-E-I-L. It's German. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then Instagram is at Running in Silence. Um, I have a Facebook group, Running in Silence. So... Most of the major social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been a total pleasure and uh, thanks. Yeah. We really appreciate yeah. it. Thank thanks you for so being much. here. Thank it you. It was good. Yeah. So there you have it. You can clearly see why Veronica said that we had to have Rachel on our show. She has a really strong personal mission and she really excels, I think, at, at tackling challenges in her life. Uh, In our show note extras for this session, I have three videos where she's answering questions and then one of her presentation at the Failure Lab event in West Michigan. Uh, The three questions range from her thoughts on getting over binge eating, answering the question about uh, whether people should consider fruit and vegetable only diets, 
and how to handle an eating disorder if you can't exercise as much as you'd like to. And then in the failure lab talk, Rachel goes a little deeper into her story about how she confronted her obsession with food and the work that she's currently doing to help others. So be sure to check those out via the show notes at newinceptions.com slash 148. So yeah, that's it for this session, guys. Remember, if you're looking to share your own story and help others who are on the same path, check out Fizzle. They have plenty of courses over there to help you get started for a great monthly price. And again, you can get started for free today by visiting newinceptions.com slash fizzle. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with Rachel, Veronica, and me. I always appreciate you guys being here and uh, taking the time out of your day to hear what we got to say. And and until next session, dig in, have fun, and take care of what you're creating. And I'll see you guys back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash new inceptions on twitter at new inceptions instagram at new dot inceptions and on the web at newinceptions.com.